Turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll look at a familiar verse and then go from there. I was sharing just a little bit in Sunday school this morning how that my, uh, my Christmas used to not be about church. The Lord had nothing to do with it. And I uh, made the statement that when I was growing up, Christmas to me was nothing more than Santa Claus and whatever I could get. We lived way back in the flat woods of Georgia and uh, never um, went to a Christmas program, a church program. Even in school, I didn't understand it. But when I did, my sister and I, we got a hold of my dad one day and says we couldn't figure out why rich kids got more than the poor kids. That was a problem. So we uh, talked him into really promising us a really good Christmas. So he promised us. So you're going to have the best Christmas anybody's ever had. And uh, we really didn't care about what he was going to do to Santa Claus. He told us that he was going to shoot him. He said, when Santa Claus comes over, I'm going to shoot him. Get all the presents and bring him home. And us three kids, we believed every word he said. We couldn't wait for Christmas. We just knew we were going to have the best Christmas of anybody. Lo and behold, we got up that morning and there wasn't anything under the tree. So we were brokenhearted. Daddy came home drunk. I mean drunk. He was outside sitting on the ground by a tree and we all went out there to see him. We had some questions. And he swore on a stack of Bibles. It wasn't his fault. He shot at Santa Claus when he went over, but he missed him. You can't blame your dad for missing. At least he tried. <laughs> but you live and you learn. And then when I was 18 years old, I found out what Christmas was about. It wasn't about that other guy at all. It was about somebody else. And lo and behold, it changed my whole life. I trusted Christ as my Savior. The greatest gift anybody could ever receive. The gift of eternal life. Now look there in John chapter 3 and verse 16. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is the Christmas story. God loving the world, sending his son to make a payment for the sins of the world, so that whosoever believeth would not perish, but have everlasting life. So it means you will not go to hell, but go to heaven. You have everlasting life. That's why he came. So now that you understand what Christmas is all about, let me tell you a little bit more. You'll notice the title of this today is called, Why God Sent His Son. Well, first of all, I wanted to establish something. That the Bible does say He had one. Who was the Son? God said He had a Son. But I want you to look at this. And so look there in the book of Psalms, because we'll look at some of these and a few comments a little before and afterwards. But it's very important that you see what the Bible has to say. Because uh, I got something I want to show you toward the end of the message that I think will make it as clear as you've ever heard it. At least that's my intentions. Psalms chapter 2, and it makes a statement here in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. His anointed is his son. And you'll know that by some of the statements he's going to make in the rest of this psalm. 
But he promised. Now, these verses right here are quoted over in the book of Acts, referring back to Jesus Christ. So we know this is talking about Jesus Christ when he came into the world. Now look there in verse 6. Look in verse 6. When he says in verse 6, yet have I set my king. My king is his son. So there were kings that came into the nation of Israel. And then when the kingdom would split, it was between Judah and Israel and ten tribes and the southern two tribes. And they both had kings serving at the same time. But it's interesting that what the Bible says is Christ shall suddenly come to his temple. Malachi. He will suddenly come. And then there was 400 years of no word from God. Silent years. Now this is when they had the Maccabees, the books written. They call them the homologumala books, the pseudepigrapha books, the apocrypha books. Books in between history books, but they're not divinely inspired of God. They're not part of the canon of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament. So, lo and behold, after all these years, something wonderful happens. He said he will suddenly appear at his temple. And that he did. He was the king. That's why I kind of like that one little song. You know, there's not just three kings. We don't really know how many total everything was, but we know Jesus was a king. Wasn't Jesus a king? Well, he was a king there too. He was born king of the Jews. Now, notice what he says here in verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Thou art my son, this anointed one, verse 2, and in verse 6, my king is my son. This is my son. This was written a thousand years before Jesus Christ came to the earth. So did David know in advance who this was talking about? The Bible says he did know. So you look down here now also in verse 12. Verse 12 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. In the Old Testament, the Lord is saying, I'm sending the anointed one. I'm sending my king. I'm sending my son. Kiss the Son. Accept the Son. Put your trust in him. So did they know in the Old Testament to put their trust in God's Son. The Bible says so. You read the 16th Psalm and you'll read that it's talking about when Christ is dead and buried and coming back from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. They knew a lot more than most people think they knew. They say, well, they didn't understand all that. And they talk about God as the, in the Old Testament as that mean, cruel, bloodthirsty God. But in the New Testament, He's compassionate and so forth. It's the same God. God has always hated sin, and He lets us know that. But He also is a God of mercy and grace. That's why He sent His Son. Now, look there in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30, this is on page 693. There are scriptures that are also quoted from here in the New Testament that lets us know that this is talking about God had a son. See there in verse 4, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? 
Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name, if thou canst tell? So evidently, God has a son. Now, it's also evidently that God doesn't have a mother or a dad or a wife in heaven. So it's not exactly the same as me having a son. But God had a son. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All three are God. And they all have a different personality. But they're all God. They're all divine. So for us in our feeble minds to try to understand, that's difficult. Because you can search the scriptures and you won't find the word Trinity there. But then you don't find the word Bible there either. And you don't find the word millennium, but you do find the thousand year reign. So there's things that are in You don't find the word rapture, but the teaching is there. So the Bible teaches that God had a son. Now, look there at number two in your notes. God did promise to send him. Look in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Look what he says in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord himself. Now, remember, this is written 700 years before Christ. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, not just a young woman, but a virgin, shall conceive and bear a son. So she's telling you that there's a virgin without a man is going to have a child. In the Old Testament says that. And that this child's going to have a unique name. Now, he was never called Emmanuel, but the name means God with us. Jesus Christ, who came into the world, was God with us. And the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And He says He's going to be born in this earth. So here's this big old world. At least we're talking about somebody that claims to have been in the very beginning. Because remember in the book of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old to everlasting. Never had a beginning, never has an end. The one that's coming is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's the Son of God. God is sending his Son to the earth for a reason. Why in all this world does God send his Son into this world? Well, there is a reason. But first of all, I want you to look there in Isaiah chapter 9. Look in chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And notice what he says in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. That's the flesh. The child was born. You'll notice the next part of that verse says, Unto us a son is given. The son has always been. She's going to have a child. That child is going to be a boy. His name is going to be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is God with us. This is not just any child. This is a precious child. A perfect child is going to be born into this world. And now notice the descriptions about this child. Now, this cannot be said about you. It cannot be said about your children. They may be precious, but they are not perfect. 
like I said last week, except my grandkids. In verse 6, and it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. It means he's going to rule and reign. He is coming. He is coming from the right lineage, from the tribe of Judah and the son of David, and he can claim the throne of Israel. He's the only one that can claim the throne of Israel. That's why even to this day, Israel has abided many days without a sacrifice, without the temple, and without a king. But one day it's all going to be changed. And God's going to fulfill His word just like He promised. But notice what He says. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. I mean, this one that's going to be born. He is the Mighty God. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness one day. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're false witnesses. And he, um, he said, well, the Bible doesn't say Jesus was the Almighty God. I says, is that true? He says, it just says he's the mighty God. I says, but did you know that in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus Christ is the almighty God? In Jeremiah, almighty God? He didn't want to believe that verse. He'll believe one verse, but not believe another verse. Jesus Christ is called God, and he's called the mighty God, and he's called the almighty God. He's God. And God says in Isaiah that he will not give his glory to another. And he says, if there is another God, he said, I don't know who it is. How in the world can you know of another God that God, that is God, doesn't know about? Well, he says, the everlasting father. Now, how can you be an everlasting father without having an everlasting son? Are you married? Yes, I am. Do you have a wife? Well, I don't know. Are you married? Yes, I am. Do you have a child? I don't know. You ought to know God had a child. God had a son. Now notice what he says here. He's called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And he talks about the increase of his kingdom. There will be no end in the next verse. And it says the zeal of the Lord is going to perform this. It's God going to do this. He's going to take and have a his son, born into this world through this woman or this virgin. And lo and behold, he's coming in to be a, a lamb, to be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. So it was told about, prophesied, clears a bell in Scripture that was written before Christ ever got here. If you want to know if the Bible is true, try to disprove that this was written when it was written. Try to disprove that the Old Testament didn't exist, that these verses are not there, but they're there. And the scriptures have been here for 25 to 2,000 years before that. You're talking about the scriptures have been here. And they were fulfilled. When Christ came, he quoted from these verses. When they came looking for the king that was born, they said, where is he supposed to be born? They said, the Bible says in Micah chapter 5. Well, it didn't say 5 to it. But in Micah, the scribes put it. Jesus Christ came on schedule just like he promised. Take your Bible, look in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. Galatians and chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This is a tremendous verse because God says he had one, and God said he was going to send him, and lo and behold, here in verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come. In other words, on schedule. Jesus came right on schedule. 
He was born exactly where he was supposed to be born, and he was born exactly when he was supposed to be born. And so he said, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. So his son was with him before he was born on this earth. Jesus didn't start in that little manger. That's not when he started. You see, he's always been. He was born into this world. Now look what else he says here. God sent forth his son made of a woman, not a man. No man mentioned. Because he did not have an earthly father. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that there would be no sinful nature passed on from the man to the child. Jesus was holy. And yet the Bible is so wonderful in that it doesn't put it all in one little package. It's spread out all over the place. So that you can read and study it. And you can put it all together like a big old puzzle. It's just a beautiful picture. It's wonderful. Now, the next thing I want you to see is number three. God did tell why he was sending his son into the world. Now, here's the reason why. So that you really understand it. Most people really don't understand anything about Christmas. When I understood it, it became more precious to me. It's a wonderful time of the year. I don't mind celebrating Christmas. I love it. I care nothing about Santa Claus. I don't care anything about, uh, you know, uh, Frosty the Snowman. And you can do whatever you want to do. But I have a higher purpose for Christmas to me. I love Christ and God loving me and why he did what he did. I think it's a wonderful story and I don't have no problem with you. I'd rather celebrate his resurrection because if it hadn't been a resurrection, there'd be no salvation. So here in the book of Romans in chapter 3, look there. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, and every mouth, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. So God has already rendered a verdict. The verdict is in. We are sinners, and the verdict is death. You can't change the verdict. So going to church doesn't change the verdict. It's already declared. The judge of all the earth has looked at the whole world. Everyone that's born into this world are guilty of sin. We all are born with a sinful nature. There is no hope for man to change himself. So there's no amount of good deeds you can ever do that can change the verdict God's already declared. It's over. It's done. No man can change that verdict. You can't alter it. It's done. You cannot save yourself. You can't deliver yourself from that verdict. So how is a man then ever going to get to heaven? And that's what God did. See there in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, or by your good deeds, your good life. See, there's a lot of people who still don't get it. They think they're going to go to heaven someday if they're good. And the Bible is trying its best to teach you that's not true. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Or that you go to heaven based upon how you live, and that's not based on that. How you live your life has nothing to do with your destination, whether it's heaven or hell. You are a sinner. You are born like that. In sin did my mother conceive me with that sinful nature. 
It's passed on. Jesus was born without that sinful nature. He's the only person that never needed to be saved. All the rest of us do. So the verdict is in. It's over with. That's the conclusion. We're going to die. Now, God sent his son to make a way. And only through him, the church can't save you. This preacher can't save you. No preacher can. The Pope can't help you one iota. No priest can forgive you of your sin. Did you hear what I said? No priest can forgive you of your sins. God can, but a priest can't. I don't want you telling me your sins. God forbid. <laughs> it might be good to put on Facebook. I might get a few more people to like my page. So if you want to email me something, just go right ahead. But that is such a relief knowing that I don't have to tell you all my sins. And just because, let's say, for example, uh, let's say we take Angel here. All of us done all these bad things. But Angel, he goes off to some seminary and some monk school and they teach him how to be a priest. And so he comes in here with his collar on backwards. Now, would you feel comfortable telling him that all of your sins just because he got a collar on backwards? You don't trust him now. Why would you trust him later? <laughs> what man is right mind? Just because I'm father. No, my father. I got one father and he's dead. God says, call no man upon the earth your father unless he's your father. But there's people who like to. I'm going to come in one day with my. I'm going to have a booth set up right down here. I bet we could increase the offering. <laughs> Look, you either give or I'm going to tell everybody what I know about you. <laughs> I got to stop saying stuff like this because nobody comes to me for counseling. <laughs> but the verdict is in. We are all guilty. None of man's good deeds can reverse the change or alter the verdict. Now, John chapter 3 and verse 16. I want you to go there. John 3, 17 and 18 now. I want you to see these verses. You notice there in verse 16, we'll just kind of throw these three verses together. The reason Christ came into the world was so that he could save the world. That's what verse 16 is about, God saving the world. How can God save the world? He doesn't save everybody, but he's the Savior of the world. He only saves those who believe, whosoever believeth that he did it for them. So there's a bunch of people who will not believe it. And if you don't believe it, you're not saved. So he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And now look in verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Why? It's already condemned. That's why God sent him. God didn't send him down here to sit in judgment on everybody, see if everybody you know, needs to be condemned or, you know, if they've been good and they can go to heaven without him coming. No. The world has already been judged. The verdict is in. Every man has sinned. He's guilty. He's going to die and spend an eternity in hell. Christ came to save, not to condemn. God, the judge, already done that. The whole world has been found guilty. So he says here in verse 18, He that believeth, on him, Christ, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned when? 
you're already condemned. The world is already condemned. That's why there's nothing that any man can do to change that condemnation. The verdict is in. You're lost. You're on your way to hell. Yeah, but if I go to church and it, nothing else matters. Nothing else helps. So Christ came and was going to make a payment for everybody in the whole world so that it would be something that everybody could have. All you had to do was believe that what he did was for you. You can do that. You can handle that. That's something that you can believe in because there's no tricks to it. There's no gimmicks to it. He didn't say you have to go to church. If you did, what church? Whose church? you got to give money. Okay, how much? Who to? Me. <laughs> no. Aren't you glad it's a gift? It's totally free? And God knows in your mind whether or not you believe it or not. It doesn't matter what you tell anybody else. You could have told a lot of people that, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I, I, I believe, I believe, I believe. God's the one who knows whether you believe or not. Just like it was, this guy was driving down the road one day, and he saw there was over there baptizing somebody, so he thought I'd go and see the baptism service. So he walked down there, and they had this great big old guy. I mean, he was a bad-looking dude. And the preacher was putting him under the water. He put him under the water, brought him up. He says, do you believe? He said, I believe. He said, no, he has been pretty bad. They put him down again. Brought him up, says, do you really believe? He said, I really believe. He said, no, he's really, really been bad. Put him down one more time. So I put him down again, and he came back up, and he says, do you really truly believe? He said, I truly believe. He said, what do you believe? He said, I believe y'all trying to drown me. <laughs> so you can believe, but what do you believe? You must believe the truth. Now, look in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Some of y'all are going to sleep. I had to tell that little joke. <laughs> verse 24. Chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present tense, hath everlasting life. Now we'll get the rest part of it. And shall not in the future, shall not come into condemnation. You can never be condemned. Now I wrote a little note down there that says Christ cannot condemn a perfect person. Christ cannot condemn a perfect person. Why can't I be condemned in the future? Because I'm a perfect person. So how do you explain that? I knew you were going to say that. So I want to show you. I have up here a simple little uh, envelope. And you see, this is um, something that I wanted to try to explain a little bit about salvation. You see, this is the pastor. This is me. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, it means that I believe that when Christ died on the cross, He died for my sins. When I believe that, that payment is put to my account. So God gives to me the free gift of eternal life. Now, if it's eternal life, how long would it last? This is a hard question. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? When was the War of 1812? So you see, there are some things that are just... You ought to understand. He gives you eternal life. Eternal life lasts forever. And if it lasts forever, and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? Where would you go to heaven? You see, once you trust Christ as Savior, He gives you a new birth. My new birth that I got in the Lord, it was born without a sinful nature. So my new birth, that's me. 
See, there's no sin on me. You see, he took all my sins. I have been washed white as snow. And the Bible says, see, this is, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. That I have been placed in Christ. Now, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals me in him. So, where am I? In Christ. When did that happen? The very moment I trusted Christ as my Savior. He didn't put an old sinful man in here. He put a new man in here. He put my new birth in here. I have been born again without a sinful nature. I have been placed in Christ. In Christ is my salvation. That is my security. Now look there in John chapter 10 and verse 28. John chapter 10 and verse 28. And notice what he said. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Well, wait, 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 wait. I have just been sealed by the Holy Spirit into Christ. I have been found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. God gave me His righteousness. See, He paid for my sins. When I believe it, He gives me His righteousness. And if He gives me His righteousness, that makes me as righteous as Christ. And I am in Him. I'm sealed in Him. Now, a lot of y'all are going to take and mail cards this year, right? You're going to send out cards and things like that, maybe a present, something like that. Well, don't send it by the U.S. Postal Service. Go with FedEx. Now, this is God the Father. Remember, I'm already sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. And then the Bible says that I am in the Father's hand. And that no man can take me out of his hand. So I'm pretty secure. So now, all I have to do is depend upon FedEx to get me to heaven. <laughs> I'm good to go. Now, this happened to me 54 and a half years ago. It never has to be done again. This is the Yankee that's going to heaven, the one with the new birth, the one that's been made pure and holy and set apart, the one that's been sanctified by God himself. You see, I don't have any sins to pay for. I am secure. Now, anyone who does not have this security has no security. If you're not in this, you're not going. If you think you can lose your salvation, you don't believe you're in here. I am in Christ. Now, the reason this verse says, and he that believeth on him shall not be condemned in the future. How can I ever be condemned? You can't condemn a perfect person. My new birth was born of a perfect gospel that made me good to go. Christ died for how many of my sins? All of my sins. So I am in Christ and I'm going to heaven. So in Christ is the security that every believer 
has. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm still down here in the nasty here and now. I'm still down here in this old sinful body. Well, what do you do about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You'll notice in the book of Romans in chapter 12. I want you to turn there real quick. Romans in chapter 12. There's a verse that tells us that we ought to be transformed. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable on Him, uh, which is your reasonable service. This body, okay, here I am in this body, this old sinful body. This body that's going to die. This old body that's got an old sinful nature. And God never changed that. I told a person one time, I said, now get this straight now. When you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror, and you said, you tiger, you don't you ever die. No, but if you looked in that mirror and you were ugly, and then you trust Christ as your Savior, you go home and look in that mirror, you're still ugly. <laughs> he never changed your body. It's still as bad as it's always been. You had a bad case of the hiccups. You trust the Lord. You still got hiccups. But now understand, this body now belongs to the Lord. He bought me lock, stock, and barrel, body, soul, and spirit. I, I belong to him. Now, he's already saved my soul and washed it white as snow and put it away, and I'm secure. I don't have to worry about this anymore. This is going to heaven. Now, I'm still here in this old body. So the Bible says here in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. All right, look up here. Being conformed to the world means the world has pressure, and it puts pressure upon me and shapes me into its likeness. Makes me like the world. So God says, I don't want you to be like the world. See, godly means like God. Ungodly means not like God. So if you're to be godly, means you're like God. The world can't make you like God. So the key to all of this is understanding that the day you trusted the Lord, I was placed in Christ. But something else, the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter just like Christ, was placed in me. Now see, this is Jesus. And this is my body. This is me. The body I'm living in right now. That very moment, that day when I trusted Christ as my Savior, Christ came to live inside of me. I have Christ in me. Now, you hear a lot of preachers telling you, you need to get Christ in your life. Let Christ in your life. No, that's for service. Salvation is you need to be in Christ. Service is Christ in me. So whenever you hear that, you're talking about, okay, I still got to live my life here in this body. So I need Christ in my life to help me live. And they think that's so I can live good enough maybe to make it to heaven someday. If I make him the Lord of my master of my life. And if I, no, 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 no. I'm going to heaven because of this one decision that I made. That's done deal now. This cannot be undone. So when I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Bible says Christ dwelleth in me. Christ in me. And so when you read this, it says in the last part of that verse, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christ is in me, dwells in me. And you'll notice that you can still see a little bit through that window there, Christ in me. Can you see that? Can you see Christ in me? Now, some of you, you use the envelopes where there's no transparency, and they can't see the Lord. All they see is you. See, I don't have that. I got one that has a window. The Bible makes this statement, and I want you to look at this with me. Look in Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and you'll see what Paul is talking about. Because once you trust Christ as your Savior, you have been placed in Christ. But now that i got to live my life down here, God wants to use my body here. So it's Christ in me. So what does he want to do while he's in me? He wants to be magnified. He wants people to see him. So he wants, have you ever seen a magnifying glass? You ever take a magnifying glass, take a little piece of paper and get the sun just right and you get the right spot and set it on fire? Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Because if you magnify the heat, whew, it gets hot. Have you ever stuck it up to your eye and look in the mirror? Don't that look funny? It makes your eye look like that. Have you walked by those mirrors that they have at some carnival places, you know? And they have these crazy mirrors and it makes you look short, tall and skinny. I like those. And then you go to those other ones and they make you look short and fat. You ever seen those? And if you don't like the way you look, change the mirror. If you want to take and look slim, always stand beside people that are twice the size of you. I'm just joking. You know I'm lying, I'm dying. You know that. But now, look at this verse, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. You are to be like a magnifying glass, making something look good. God left you here so that you would make God look good. When you have a fight with your wife, make God look good. Respond the way he wants you to. Make God look good. And if it's a woman, make God look good. Kids, make God look good. Always making him look good. And that's what will help you with your attitude. It'll help you with every problem you have. Whatever it is, magnify the Lord. So look there in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation... And my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. All right, look up here. I am in my body on this planet Earth. This is my physical body. God says I am to magnify him. So therefore, I try to talk to people about the Lord. I try to live the way God wants me to live. Because he becomes magnified. Now, if you don't want people to know you're a Christian, well, then you got to cover this up because you don't want them to know that. Now they can't see the Lord. But is that honoring to the Lord? Magnifying the Lord or magnifying yourself? Now, it depends on who you want to honor. You see, if you want to honor him, then you want to magnify him. But if you don't 
want to do that and you want to magnify yourself, then it's got to be all about you, 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 you. Everything's about me. And that's why you get so burnt out so quick and irritated so quick because somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody picked on you. Somebody said something that hurt you. Well, pity, pity you. I stopped having pity parties a long time ago because nobody would come. <laughs> if it's about the Lord, magnify the Lord. It doesn't matter what people say and do to you. So you get off your high horse, take those chips off your shoulders and stop worrying about it. And, be, and don't be so easily offended. You say, you just offended me. <laughs> then it's all about you. But if it's about the Lord, it doesn't matter what people say. You can respond the way God wants you to. Magnify the Lord. Look what else he says here. Whether it be by life or death, God wants to be magnified, honored, glorified, whether your life or by your death. And I've had a lot of people trust Christ as Savior at funerals. Because I can magnify the Lord even at a funeral. I even give the gospel at weddings. I just kind of, just another fishing hole. This is just almost as good as a funeral. <laughs> one of them died. They two became one. But anyway, in verse 21, look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die again. See, I'm not in heaven yet, but that's where I am secure. I am to live my whole life understanding Christ is in me. And he promised, he said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Never. And so regardless of what you're doing in life, what you're going through, all your trials and tribulations, he is right there with you. He's living inside of your body. So now this is you in Christ. The other one is Christ in you. So I am in him and he in me. This secures my salvation and this secures my service. Because I know that regardless of what happens, He's there to help me, and I can always depend upon the Lord. So this is not Christ in your life in order to be saved. When you hear somebody saying that they really don't understand what they're saying, they're saying something nice, sounds nice and spiritual. But you weigh these things based upon what God's Word does say. So as a child of God, yes, should Christ live his life through my life? Yes. Should I yield my body to him? Yes. Because, see, there's pressure from the world... But when you have the Lord living within you, then the Lord becomes the pressure that conforms you, transforms you from the inside. And it keeps the pressure from the outside shaping you and forming it the way it is. Therefore, be renewed in your mind that you may prove or discover what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God did not take us all to heaven the day he saved us. He could have. But he left us here because he wants each one of us to glorify him, magnify him in all that you say and do. Honor the Lord. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. Now, we all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. And the Bible says, since all have sinned, we're all condemned. That's the verdict. And no man can save himself, and all the good works you can ever try is a waste of time. You don't go to church to go to heaven. You don't change your life to go to heaven. You don't start being good and give money and all those things to go to heaven. You can't change it. The verdict's in. You're lost. 
The only way to go to heaven is that you must believe that when Christ came, he did it because he loved you, paid for your sins, came back from the dead. And when you believe that, he gives to you his righteousness. You're sealed in his hands, in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck you out of his hand. That includes you. You can't get out. I'm going to heaven because I got FedEx. No, because I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I want to serve the Lord because Christ is in me. And I have that security also. I feel pretty secure. Don't you feel a little secure? Do you know where you're going when you die? How many of you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die? Let me see your hand. All right, put it down. How many know you're going to hell? Not that reason. The other one is Christ is in you. He's in you for a reason. He wants you to magnify him through your life. I pray that you will. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you will. Or if you're watching by Internet, if you shrink the screen down right on the bottom, it says, yes, that made sense to me. Yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And you that are here this morning, I pray that you understand what I've said and will trust Christ as your Savior. He loves you so much. This was what Christmas really was all about. Him coming into this world so that you could go to heaven. He came here so that you can go there. Would you believe he died and paid for your sins? Will you trust him as your only hope of going to heaven? If you will, God said he would save you, give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven whenever you die. I'm going to ask you in just a moment if what I've said made sense, and if it does, I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and put it right back down. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And say, preacher, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior. Friend, would you just... Right now in the quietness of this moment, say, yes, preacher, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Yes, God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? God bless you, son. I appreciate that. Once you trust Christ as Savior, he gives you eternal life, and he'll never cast you out, never lose you, and you never have to do it again. He can't give you eternal life two or three times. One time, because he'll never lose you. That's how you know you're going to heaven when you die. To me, that was the best news I ever heard. Anyone else right before we close? Say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior also. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one for being here. We pray, Lord, for those that are not able to be here because they're sick. And we know there's a bunch of them. And we love each one. And pray your blessings upon them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.